Evening, church. Now, if you don't know my name, my name's Vindo, but I will also respond to Dexter. Now, church, would you travel with me to ancient Babylon? There were where we're going to observe what's going to happen in Daniel chapter 3. There in the streets of Jura, we can observe a large crowd consisting of 150,000 people. And every one of them are looking at one direction. People who are claustrophobic, they're, they're kind of hyperventilating because because the streets, they're packed, there's no room, everyone's rubbing shoulders. And so if you're claustrophobic, this isn't a place for you. And there they are, you can hear in the crowd, they're murmuring, they're whispering, they're discussing. Hey, do you know what this is about? No. Hey, do you know why the king summoned us here? No, no one has a clue what's about to be unfolded. But because they were summoned by the most powerful man living at that time, They had to come. No one could skip this. No one could miss this. You wouldn't want to call a sickie. You don't want to smoke during this important time. Because at this time, young King Nebuchadnezzar, he has just taken over the throne of his father. And during this time, in fact, the Babylonian Empire has conquered most of the known world in the Middle East. They have just defeated the Assyrians. They have chased them away. They have also chased the Egyptians away. This is one of the biggest victories that we have in our history books. And while they were chasing the Egyptians, they ran into this town, this little city called Jerusalem. They saw Jerusalem and the king decided, let's destroy that as well. And so they burned down the city and they turned it to rubble. And what else did he do? He also captured these young men, he, he picks the brightest one, he picks the smartest ones, he picks the noble blood and he brings them to Babylon. He feeds them, he tries to brainwash them, he changes their name and for them to serve in his courts. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was notorious. He was infamous on the way that he treats his enemies. Now, if you were a defeated king, what would happen to you is you are forced to watch your family members get tortured and then butchered. And then after that, the King Nebuchadnezzar will get his guards to pluck your eyes out because that would be the last thing that you would ever see was that your family being murdered. Now, this King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a psychopath. He was cray cray. You don't want to mess with him. You don't want to defy him. Now we're here in this crowd and the crowd is seeing in, in, in the plains of Dura, every position in government, every, if you have a position in government, you're there. If you're a politician, you're there. If you're a military officer, you're there. Every news reporter, every celebrity, every sports star are in that square, thousand of them. And everyone again is looking at one direction. And curiosity is building up of what to be and what, what is going to come. It is intensifying. And then finally, we hear the city gates open. You hear a roaring sound of a thunder. You hear whip lashing. And you, hear, and you see a whole bunch of slaves dragging out this platform. And there it is. 30 meters high. 
three meters wide. It's big. It's massive. It's colossal. It's unmissable. What is it? It's an image of the king himself. Now in the Middle Eastern sun, it is helping this statue shine bright. It's golden radiance. And if you were in the crowd, church, you would be saying, what? Three meters wide? 30 meters high? If it's all gold, how, how expensive is that? That's a lot of bling. That's excessive. That's extra. Now that's exactly what the king wants you to think. Whatever you were wondering and you were pondering before, you are not kept in the dark anymore. The herald, he stands on the platform and he walks towards the microphone of his day, which was like a little blowhorn. And he says, The music will be played. And once the music plays, bow down or die. Any questions? Good. We'll get started in a minute. Now everyone know what they must do. They must bow down and worship and pay homage to this man-made image of the king. Now this is a power play. Now this is nothing new in our history pages because many regimes, many emperors, many leaders have given their people an image, a picture, a symbol for their people to bow down to, to for their people to worship, to adore. And if they don't, there will be consequences for defying men who think there are gods. Now, if you want to progress in society, if you want to get promoted in work, if you want to prosper in these lands, you will bow. And so we hear the music starts playing. Confetti is in the air. And you hear Now that's the sounds of knees hitting the deck, hitting the floor. Because besides the golden statue, there was also this fiery furnace and it's blazing and it looks hot. Now many scholars say this blazing furnace was the exact oven that molded and melted this statue in the first place. And so the king thought, oh, since the oven's still hot, might as well throw people who defy me in the oven. So as the music was blasting, the statue was glaring, the fire was blazing. It was an easy choice for the people in the crowd. It was either bowing or dying. But there stood three who remains standing. (gasps) Now that's where our story starts in Daniel chapter 3. But before we start, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you that you are here. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will be moving around this place. Help us to understand why it's important to stand for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the music has been played. A few songs have been played. And there were still these three remaining people Just standing there. People around them were like trying to convince them, what are you doing? Bow down. Are you going to die? They refused to bow. 
Now, during this time, there were some astrologers or some Chaldeans that came to the king to denounce the Jews. And this is what they says, Oh, king, you live forever. Haven't you decreed? Haven't you given us an ultimatum that when we hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the bagpipes, all types of music, we will bow down and worship your beautiful image. But there, but, but, but there are some Jews, some Jews whom you put in a high position. We're pretty jealous of them. But anyway, that's beside the point. They paid no attention to you. They've ignored you. If you were there, you could see their posture. Arrogance, King. Arrogance. Look, King, I don't want to point any fingers, but their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. (laughs) Now, these three have just been ratted out, dobbed on, and snitched on. Now, what does this tell us? What does this tell me? That these three friends, they were being watched. They were being watched. Now, imagine this church. If you were in a stadium in the middle of it, and it's a stadium of 150,000 people. Now, everyone's taking a seat. Would you know who's still standing or who's not? No, you wouldn't. Your eyesight's not that good to see that far and to see that clear. Only if you were in that section A, seat B, 69, I, I don't know. If you were in that section near them, only then you would see. So what this is telling me that these three friends were being watched. And church, we too are being watched. Isn't it true when the moment you expose that you are a Christian, you are being watched by your friends, by your family, by the rest of the world? When you have a slip of the tongue, when you say a wrong word, people make it such a big deal. Everyone in the office is doing it, but, but for you, they're like, oh, I thought you were Christian. It gets annoying sometimes, doesn't it? Now, I remember as a youth leader, I was driving a car full of youths. And I was just driving, and I remember one time I saw outside my window, there was this little kid who was riding this bike that was too big for him. It's like the bike's this big, and the kid's like that small. And he was trying to ride, and then he fell down. And I laughed. (laughs) And one kid beside me said, I thought you were Christian. (laughs) Do you want to see what's more non-Christian? Get out of my car. I didn't say that. I thought it. It gets annoying, but we are being watched. Now the story continues. Three young men stood. And because they stood, they stood out. Verse 13. The king was filled with rage when what, of what he has heard from the Chaldeans. What, are you serious? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? No, those guys are all right. This is ridiculous. Wait, wait. You guys aren't joking with me, are you? And so, just to make sure, he summons the three of them into his presence. And so those three arrive. And he asks, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Hey, hey, you guys probably didn't see the statue, right? You guys probably had a bad seat or something. 
Maybe the music was too soft for you. The flute, the zither, the harp, the lyre, the bagpipes. Maybe those instruments isn't your jam. You know what? I'm going to throw in an electric guitar, a bass, a dubstep, techno, whatever you want. Now I'm going to restart this whole parade. And when this parade passes you, you bow down. Or else, no God can save you from my grasp. In other words, what the king was saying was, you better lose yourself to the music, the moment. You own it. You never better let it go. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Yo. That's what he was saying. And as young men hearing these, this, they're only in their early teens, early 20s, facing a life and death crisis, feeling the pressure of the crowd, of the king, of the statue and of the furnace. But isn't this the exact same pressure that every single Christian in every single generation will face and have faced? The situation may be different, but that feeling and tension, it's all the same. So what do you do, church, when God's word tells you to stand, but man tells you to bow? What do you do? Do you feel that pressure? Do you feel that tension? Now, if you don't, most likely you have already bowed. Because to trust God and to disobey man, that's going to cost you. Your relationship, that promotion, that job, maybe even your life. Now the question is, what would you have done in this situation? And I wonder what was the thoughts that were running through these three guys' minds facing this dilemma. If I can put myself into the narrative, into the story as those three friends, instead of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it'd be Shadrach, Meshach, and Bindo. If I was in the narrative, I would be making a whole bunch of excuses in my head because I'm, I'm a quick thinker. When the band comes along, oh, look, a dollar. <laughs> or when the band comes along, oh, my shoelace is undone. <laughs> because I have such good timing when the band, the parade, the music plays and the confetti's there, I will be down on one knee and I will propose to Demi to marry me. <laughs> Would you marry me, Demi? No, no answer. Oh, man. <laughs> We're already married. We're already married. I'm good. I'm good. Hey, it looks like I'm bowing, but I'm not. I'm not. God, when the music comes and when the music plays, when the band passes, I'm going to bow down. I'm going to pray praying to you. I'm not praying to the statue. You're not going to get jealous of a statue, are you? God, didn't you give me this job? Didn't you put me in this position of influence? Now, if I lose this position, what good am I to you? If the crowd don't love me, then how am I going to spread the gospel to them? If the king kills me, how am I going to serve you? Would you be discussing things like that with God? Or maybe you're conversing to Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Slow down, Jesus. Man, because if we take a left turn right now, 
that's a fiery furnace. And it looks hot and it looks like a bad way to die. Jesus, when you were talking about being on fire for God, you didn't mean literally, right? (laughs) If I was one of the three, with my wittiness, I can just keep trying to justify myself after excuses, after excuses. Hey, look, God, everyone around me is doing it. Even the Jews, the other Jews are doing it. Now, if I don't bow, I'm going to die. That hurts. Bowing doesn't hurt that much, right? Church, there is a price to pay. Now, last year with the whole plebiscite thing, either yes or no. Now, this affected my little baby sister a lot. During her course in nursing, the lecturer asked her, the whole class, those who voted yes stand on this side, and those who voted no stand on this side. What was the result? The whole class and the lecturer herself stood on the yes side, and there was only my baby sister and this other girl who stood on the no side. And from then on, all her classmates and her teachers treated her so much different. Treated her like a bigot. Now that broke my heart because my sister is one of the nicest person I know. I don't know if you've been following on Facebook as well, but there's this rugby player by the name of Israel Folau. Now he is also getting a lot of slack. They're throwing a lot of shade on him. Um, and I'm just following it. Um, it's, it's trending right now on Facebook. He's losing a lot of fans. You know, he, he might give up rugby as well. A lot of people actually want him to give up rugby because of his belief. There is a price to pay. Now, if you're here and you're wondering what my stance is on, on homosexuality, it's a sin. But that also is adultery, having sex before marriage, fornication. When you click on that website, that is also a sin. I may be called a bigot for this. Society may say, oh, look, he's not accepting. But that is nothing further from the truth. I love you. I do not condemn you. Because why? Because I am a sinner myself. An ice cost church, this is a place for you. Because Jesus accepts you. Jesus loves you. And that's why we will accept you. And that's why we will love you. So if you're here in the crowd, or if you're listening in our podcast, we love you. And today, the world does not present to us a 30 meter high, a 3 meter wide golden statue. And it doesn't show us a blazing fiery furnace. But this carrot and a stick strategy is still being used today, but it's taking different forms. Church, what do you do when all your friends are drinking, getting drunk? They're taking drugs. They're sleeping around. Now, to be a part of the cool kids, you need to do what the cool kids do. Now, if you don't do what the cool kids do, 
Then you're going to be rejected. Then you're going to be called a loser. You're going to be called an outcast. But hey, if you want to join us, then you bow. Church, what do you do when you're in a business and your boss tells you to lie, to tell you to do something illegal, and he promised you a pay rise? Now, if you don't do that, he threatens to fire you and just hire another. Now, if you want to keep your job, you bow. What idols do we bow to? Does it take a form of money? You do anything for a quick buck. Or is it our studies? Hey, look, midterms, exams are coming up. It's okay for me to take church off. Whatever you are prioritizing, that is your God. Because church, the truth is you will always find time for the things that you love. Always. So let's see what the three friends chooses to do. Now quickly, I want to point out to you, church, there was three of them, not one of them. Now church, I want you to look around to your left and to your right. Just quickly look around while I take a drink. These are the brothers and sisters who's willing to go into the fire with you. You are not alone. And I just wonder if I was there, I wonder what these three guys were whispering to each other to encourage each other. Was it his palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, mom's spaghetti. They're cheering each other on. Shadrach, Meshach, you're in this right, bro. Yeah, got you back. Yeah, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? I don't know what they said, but this is what they said. Oh, king, we aren't going to get into an argument with you now. You said, which God can save us? Our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, now church, you need to go home and underline that. Even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you. There was a church father by the name of Polycarp. He was the disciple of the apostle John, the John who wrote our Gospel John, Letters of John, and Revelations. Now, Polycarp became the bishop of Smyrna towards the end of his life. And towards the end of his life, he was brought on trial because he refused to worship Caesar, refused to bow to Caesar, and refused to say that Caesar is Lord. And as an 86-year-old man, he was brought before the Roman proconsul, and he was trialed. And pretty much he was given an easy way out because the, the person in charge felt sorry for him. And, and he said, old man, I do not want to kill you. Curse Jesus and I'll let you live. Now, Polycarp could have justified himself saying, hey, I, I could say it, but I don't mean it in my heart because God looks at the heart, right? He could have said, oh man, I've been serving God for so long and faithfully already. I can slip up once in a while, right? Because after all, he was just threatened with, if you don't, we'll throw you in a dens of wild beasts. But you know what Polycarp says? He says, so let them come. And then they threaten him with burning him alive. And then he says, 
You threaten me with a fire that will burn out and be snuffed out in a few hours. But you are ignorant of the rightful fire of God. And in light of all this threat after threats, give in, old man, curse Jesus, and we'll let you live. And then this is what he says. 86 years I have served Jesus, and he has never abandoned me. So why should I now blaspheme the king who saves me? So why do you lay? What are you waiting for? Bring on the beast. Bring on the fire. But I will never deny my Christ. Church, is that not robust living faith right there? The three friends, they decided to put their faith not in the miracles of God, but in the God of miracles. They had faith not in the the, the outcome, the result of the outcome, they had faith despite of the outcome. And they said this, O king, you ask which God can save us? Our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Verse 19, the king was fueled with fury. And he says, all right then. I will stand there and watch you burn because that's all right because I want, I like the way you cry. And this is what he says, heat up the furnace seven times, seven times harder I want it. Now the king is not even thinking straight at this point. I think the temper has got to his head because if you want to torture someone, if you want people to die a, a more painful death, you will turn down the heat. So then they'll slow roast. But if you throw someone in a heat like lava, full snizzle, they're gone. Just like that. He is not making his execution worse at all. But the king's command was so urgent and the fire was so hot that the soldiers binding Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they got close to the flames and the flames killed them. And so there goes in these three characters bound tightly Rolling into this furnace. Is that the end? No, that's not the end. As the crowd doesn't know exactly what's going on yet, some people are grasping in horror. (gasps) Now, some people are more saddest in the crowd and they're like, yeah, now we've got something to watch. Yeah, forget about the statue. Look at those three dudes. Oh, he's falling down. And the king leaps to his feet in amazement. And he goes towards the opening of this furnace. And he looks in. And he's saying, Weren't there three bound? Why do I see four? You guys, you guys didn't throw anything funny into the flames, right? Like, n- none of that, right? Why do I see four? Who goes into a furnace like that? You guys see this? Yes, King, we, we do. There's, yeah, we threw in three, but there's four. And the king says, and he declares, the fourth person looks like the son of the gods. And then the king starts yelling for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to get out of this fiery furnace. And he's just praising God. 
And then the Bible records that these three friends, their, their bodies were not harmed, their hair was not singed, their clothes were not damaged, and there was no smell of fire on them. Now you can read right past that, but I won't. Because to record that, you actually have to have someone inspect it. So can you just imagine the king and all the influential people? They're like playing with, you know, Shadrach, Meshach's hair. Oh, it's not singed. Oh, yeah, no smell of fire. That's how they could record that. And the king praises them. And he starts talking in third person. He's not crazy at all. He says, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel to rescue his servants. They trust in God and defied the king's command and is willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any other God but their own. Therefore, I decree, and he loves his decree, anybody who messes with my boys will be chopped to pieces and their house burnt down into rubble. Man, this guy needs a chill pill. And by the end of our story, by the end of our story, these three are promoted. They're promoted, advancing further into their career. Now, church, this is not a story where you face a fire and by the end of it, you get promoted. No, no, that's... That's not my goal for you tonight. For you to go home thinking, okay, if I just go to church every single week for, for a year or so, I'll get a magic ring that makes me all fireproof. No. Because if you go home and play with fire tonight, you get burned. Don't do that. This story is not about standing for God and get promoted. No, this story is about standing for God regardless. That's what this story is about. Because in this world, I can assure you of two things. The first thing is when God says stands and man says bow and you listen to God, you will have trouble. You will face storms, trials and tribulations. But the second thing I can assure you of is that Jesus Christ will meet you in the flames. Who was the fourth person that the king was talking about? Who was the fourth person in that furnace? Now this was the pre-incarnate Christ. And he's coming into these pages and giving life. And he's also telling me he's coming into your life to bring you life. I don't know what situation you are in at the moment. I don't know what type of fiery furnace that you are feeling the heat of tonight. I don't know the amount of stress, anxiety or depression that you may have. I don't know if you have tried to take your own life. I don't know if even at home you don't feel safe because you are living in an abusive relationship. I don't know that. I don't know if you are doubting yourself because you've been looking for a job for so long and you have not found it. 
I don't know if any of you guys here are terminally ill or you have someone that you know whom you love is ill. I don't know if you are being bullied at school or in the workplace. I don't know if you are in the midst of getting fired at work. I don't know that. But this is what I know. Christ meets you in the flames. And if you have ever wondered lately if if God, do you even care? God, do you even love me? Tonight, I want you to look at the cross. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a story, a parable about a soul who sows seeds on the ground, different types of soil there. Twice in this chapter, Jesus refers to the wrath of God as a fiery furnace. Now, this isn't like a furnace of an unrighteous king. No, this is a furnace of the most holy king. The wrath of God is like a fiery furnace. And that's the exact furnace that Jesus went into to save you and I. In a real sense, God does not save us out by plucking us out of the fire. No, He first comes into those flames. He brings us out and He takes our place. Because on that cross, He suffers. He suffocates. Nail pierced hands, nail pierced feet. Crown of thorns on His head. He thirsts. He has a crowd full of mockery. And the wrath of God is poured out. Why? Because He's taking the place of you and I. He's paying the price of of our disobedience, of our rebellion. He's paying the price of when we bow down to everything that the world says but Him. But He comes, He lives a life that we could not live and die a death that we should have died. He takes the punishment that we deserve and He imparts to us a life that is eternal. Because before Christ came, you were bound tightly to sin and death, ready to go into the fires of hell. But when Christ was done with you, you were free. Every chains were broken. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now church, this is good news. My point here is tonight is if Jesus is willing to enter through the ultimate fiery furnace on your behalf, do you think He would abandon you now? Do you think that He wouldn't meet you into the smaller fiery furnace of daily life? Would you think that He's going to say, nah, you messed up, you're on your own for this one? No, He will meet you there. Because He promises He's going to be with you. He promises to never leave you nor forsake you. And He promises, I am close to the brokenhearted. I don't know where you are in life, but I know where Jesus is and He's there. This is the gospel.
It should give courage into your spine. It should give bravery into your guts to stand and live for Jesus in this upcoming week. God bless you, church.